welcome to Real Stories MKE, brought to you as part of X-Fabulous work to connect Milwaukee through Real Stories. I'm Joel Dreesang. And I am Kim Shine. It feels so good to say that again. <laughs> X-Fabula believes that everybody has personal stories worth sharing. We coach storytelling workshops where community members can build their storytelling skills and their confidence. And you guys know we also host Story Slams, where true stories are shared on stage. Today we are bringing you four of those powerful true stories. That's right, Kim. Our theme for this episode is sports. All of us have sports stories, uh, be it a shining MVP moment, a childhood dream of becoming an Olympic athlete, a gym class where we found out sports are not our thing, (laughs) or maybe, you know, just as a fan. And remember, fan is short for the word fanatic. That's true. So I know that you're like acclaimed to have superpowers in (laughs) air hockey. But what other other kind of like real sports? Oh, table hot table hockey, yeah, yeah, table yeah, air yeah, hockey. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. man. If, if that could be a sport, like if that could be an Olympic sport, <laughs> I would win. I would have the most passion. But no, when I was a kid, I really liked gymnastics. Um, I did gymnastics. I won like a, a few ribbons and stuff, but I had to stop. Uh, so I'm not a gymnast now. Oh. I. I, I co-host a, an amazing show with you, so <laughs> I think life worked out how linguistic it was gymnastics. To. Yes, oh, my <laughs> goodness, yes, Joel. There we go. But uh, I do think that women's sports people need to pay more attention to women's sports. So I really like uh, the WNBA, and also I fully support pay equity in sports. Yes, I'm with you on that. So I grew up wanting to be a middle linebacker in the NFL. Really? I was. Yeah, I was. I lived. Half an hour from Lambeau Field during the glory years of the Green Bay <laughs> Packers, everybody wanted to play football. Yeah. And I worked really hard at it. I dreamed about it. I, I asked my older brothers for advice, and I practiced, and um, I just didn't get the playing time. And But when I was uh, in 10th grade, my geometry teacher was the varsity football coach. And one day after class, he asked me over to his desk, and he wondered if I was going to be going out for football. Okay. So I'm like, okay, somebody's been paying attention. I'm going to get my due here. And that's when he asked me if I would be the statistician for the Ah, team. Okay. Okay. Yeah, dashed my dreams and threw in some math. So thanks a lot. I'm sorry. It was okay. Yeah, it's it's all right. I I survived. I you know I didn't have as many injuries, I guess. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I guess that's the upside. <laughs> do we have any stories, though? We do, yes. Okay. Our first sports story comes from Rob Harrington. He shared this story at a 2017 Story Slam that had the theme, Change of Heart. Here's Rob. Uh, Salzburg, Austria, 1991. I have this little list of things I got to take care of. One, school. Two, travel. Three, beer. Four, girls. And then the last one is I'm going to try to play soccer in Europe. Well, I've been there for a month and a half, and I did a really good job so far at the uh, the booze, the girls, the travel. School was okay. I hadn't done anything with soccer. So now I'm out at my first practice, and I'm all ready to go. I'm ready to put my cleats on. Nobody else on the team has their cleats on. I, I understand very little German, but I just so I just follow along with what everybody else is doing. I get out in the field, and everybody just starts running. So I'm running with them, and everybody starts running faster, and I'm, I'm trying to run faster with them. It's not going too well. They're running faster. I try to run faster with them. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, just a big guy about the size of a lumberjack jumps on my back. 
I don't know why we're doing this, but now i got to run with a guy in my back. Everybody's running with somebody on their back. Well, I get to a line. He jumps off my back. Then I'm supposed to jump on his back. I get on his back. We start running. Again, I don't understand a lot of German, but he says something to the effect of, for a short guy, this guy's really fat. So they got the same laughs from the other Austrians. So we do this for what seems like six hours. We finish. And I'm all ready to play soccer. Well, we're not going to play soccer. We go out to the road. It's night. And they start running on the road. And you can't see anything. It's all dark. Well, within about 100 yards, I lose everybody. I can't see anything. There's a little turn. And I know they turn. So we go around the turn. And uh, there's a driveway. And there's a road. So I take the road. Now, I run down this road uh, for somewhere between 30 minutes and six weeks. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know where anybody is, but I can see soccer lights in the distance. Um, so I keep running toward the soccer lights, and there's no road to get there. There's just farm fields. So I start running through these farm fields, and I'm starting to cover myself in mud as I'm running through the fields, and I have to climb a fence, and I get over to the next fence, which is right next to the field, and I'm all ready to look and, and go join my team, and I find out, well, it, it's not my team, it's not my club, and I ran to the wrong town. <laughs> so I turn around. I somehow make it back to the club I'm with. Uh, the players are all are all finishing practice, and they ask me if I want to shower in a sauna, and I say no. I don't really like showering with other men, and really uncircumcised men terrify me, so I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> I come back the next night, and it's the same process. It's uh, run, run with a big guy on your back. This time he says something... <laughs> Something like, uh, that I have bratbinas, which means like little fat sausage legs. Um, <laughs> then it's get on the road and we run on the road. And again, we, I lose them. They take the turn and it's the driveway and it's the, the road and I can't find them. I don't know where they are. I don't run quite as far this night, somewhere between, you know, 30 minutes and two days. And I see soccer lights again. I don't know how to get there. So I have to run through farm fields, but this time I'm at the right field and, uh, I climb a fence, I get to the next fence, and I think, well, should I really go join my team by jumping over a fence from a farm field when I look like an idiot? And then I realize, I think I've already taken care of the idiot part. So <laughs> I jump over the fence, I join the team, the coach kind of looks at me and gives me this, you know, smirk like, okay, well, whatever. And he, and he puts me in the game, and now it's my big chance. I'm going to go play and, and show these guys I have something. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm the defending fly. I'm this pesky little defender that's going to make everything happen. I start running. I fall over. I get like a little tiny, um, like, uh, pig in a blanket, you know, little smoky cramp right in the back of my hamstring. I can't move. So this guy, this Austrian guy is massaging it out. Well, that's the end of practice two. I come back the next night. It's practice three. Same process, run, back, get made fun of, run, lose them on the turn. I don't know where I'm going again. This time I don't make it back for any practice whatsoever. But I said I was going to play soccer in Europe, so I'm going to play soccer in Europe. This is what I'm going to do. I come back one last night. This night, for some reason, some beautiful reason, they don't do the deal where we have to run back and forth with people on our back. So we start running down the road. Um, now I'm only like 10 to 15 yards behind them. We take the turn. You know, the one goes down the driveway, the other way goes down the road. Well, they all start running down the driveway, which seems like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, did they just go to somebody's house and start partying without me or something? <laughs> well, right around the driveway, it just wraps around, and about 100 yards further is the field. So <laughs> I've been running half marathons for three nights. 
And apparently they just run about a quarter mile to the field and then start playing. Well, that night I played a little and I, I didn't do great. I have, you know, I've been fueling myself with vice beer and schnitzel for the last month and a half. Um, but I do play. I score a goal. They don't care. I don't know if I care at this point. Um, I do some nice things and the coach comes up to me and he says, uh, son, he's saying this in German. I, I think this is what he says. He goes, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we train again. Saturday, you're welcome to come to all of it. And I look at him and I smile and I say, I think I'm going to go to Prague and drink beer. Thank you very much. <laughs> so in a true personal story, there's often room for self-deprecation. Yeah. The ways that Rob belittled himself in that story really helped me feel his frustration. I agree. For trying to do something you know, in a land, in a language that he wasn't quite clear what was going on. I felt so bad for him. I, oh, my gosh. Like, I started to get anxious and I started to get mad because his 30 minutes to six week runs, like, what the heck was going on? And like, by the time he finished, I was ready for a drink, you know? <laughs> like, I'm like, let me join you, okay? But, you know, and his, his story is also a good reminder that even though they're true stories, there's always room for hyperbole. Right. Yes. Right? Yeah. And we teach that. Yes. In our storytelling yes. workshops. Right. So if you guys want to come out and learn how to tell stories a little bit better than you do, or if you've never told a story and you're just interested in how to structure one, just go to exfabula.org. We've got information Yes, there. we've got workshops. Yeah. Well, our next story, Joel, comes from Elaine Molly. She shared this story while leading a sculptures and stories tour through downtown Milwaukee. And this was actually in partnership with Sculpture Milwaukee. It's pretty cool if you haven't seen it. This one was prompted by a basketball sculpture. Elaine shares how she also had a change of heart involving sports, but for a different reason than we just heard from Rob. Here's Elaine. Well, in planning for this tour, um, we walked up and down Wisconsin Avenue looking at these sculptures many times, as you can imagine. And I completely ignored this one many times because it doesn't have much to do with me. Um, but I did think, I, I expected that everyone will expect that my friend Sean here to be the one to tell the story after all, this is basketball, the Harlem Globetrotters specifically. And, um, you know, it just didn't speak to me. I, you know, I'm not part of professional sports. I mean, I'm, ha you know, people are happy to have me as a spectator, but even in my most, most athletic prime, we were never invited to participate in sports at this level. Um, a few years ago, through women's organizations, I met, met a woman named Burnell Hooker who started a group called IOU Sports, Images of Us Sports. And her goal was to encourage more women and girls to be involved in sports, to play sports, to seriously consider sports careers. And Burnell asked me, Elaine, what's your sport? I said, I don't have one. She said, come on. I said, well, I golf once in a while. I exercise, but that's not a sport. And Burnell pressed me further. She said, well, what was your sport when you were a girl? And then I remembered. Oh, yeah. I used to play baseball, softball, uh, when I was a kid. All summer long in the alley with all the boys in the neighborhood. And I was really good. I mean, I could play every position. 
I was, when it came to picking teams, I was always the first one picked. I loved the crack of the bat as it jettisoned the ball into the air and I'd go sliding into home base. It was so much fun for me. I loved it. And then school started. But the next spring, when it came time to try out for the local team, I grabbed my glove and I rolled down, uh, rode my bike down to the tryouts, assuming that many of these boys whom I played with all summer would welcome me. Not so much. They threw everything they had at me, their balls, their bats, their gloves, and they screamed that I must be a lesbian. I rode my bike home in tears. I got little compassion from my parents or friends. They said, what did you expect? That was it for me. I gave up. I never attempted to be involved in any kind of sports again. And then in 1973, Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs in tennis, and I felt vindicated. And since then, I'm so pleased at how much progress we've made in women in sports. Um, but I know that one of the problems is we all need to support women's sports, right? Women need to support women's sports. We got to be there for women. Thank you. So, Joel, this is again why I say you always say I'm too serious, and I'm going to probably say that all I throughout this season. I don't always say that. <laughs> <laughs> I support pay equity in sports, in women's sports. It is so vital. So, Kim, my proudest moment in high school athletics was when um, my friends and I convinced the athletic director to let us borrow some old sweaters, some old cheerleading sweaters. Okay. And we formed a boys cheerleading squad for the girls basketball team this was you know this was in the early years of of title nine yeah and um the the people didn't pay attention to women's sports to girls sports that much so yeah um we uh it was really fun and we drummed up more support for the girls team yeah and i mean just recently you know WNBA championship the chicago sky they won like a year or two back Mm -hmm. and then you had a women's soccer they had a huge championship there i mean we've got so many names so many names of these women just leading in their respective sports and it's just you know just support. Yes, You never exactly. know. Go yep, to the yep. games. You never know what you Raise might like. Up. Yep. Our third sports story comes from Antoine Ward. Antoine is a young person who took part in our Independence First Story Slam in the summer of 2022. He is uh, telling us a short story, but it also has a big message. Here's Antoine. Um, my story is back when I was in high school. I played a lot of basketball. One of my good friends was really good at basketball, but he was a bigger guy, so he never wanted to go out for the team. I kept trying to convince him that he should go out and play. He would do well. He said he wasn't in shape. He wouldn't be able to make it through practices, and I think he was a little bit anxious that other kids would make fun of him because he was bigger. So he came out to the tryouts, and the other kids were saying things to him like, this isn't about, this isn't a cooking club, or it's not a, a eating contest. Why is he here? So at one point during the tryouts, we were playing two on two and I picked him to be my partner and he was, he was killing everybody basically. So all the other kids were like, wow, like you're really good. And he was just kind of humble. Like I love playing ball whatever. And it was a good opportunity. I told the other kids, that's why you should never judge a book by its cover. Cause when you looked at him, you decided that he couldn't play, but 
now that you've seen him in action, he's really good. And he eventually quit during the season because he didn't like to practice at 6 a.m. <laughs> but at least he gave it a try, so I was happy for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kim, I think a lot of times when we think of sports, we think of winners and losers and who's the star of the game. But Antoine's story reminds us that more often – the success stories are really about the relationships that people form. Mm-hmm. And it seems that Antoine and his friend uh, helped their basketball team by turning some heads and changing some minds. And those are victories that don't show up in the box score. I completely, completely agree with you. Do we have an update from Antoine? We do, actually. He didn't have any updates from his story, but he did say that he hopes his story helps others find their voice and moves them to take action in a positive manner. Thanks, Antoine. I love that. Just people just taking their stories and impacting others. That is the whole point of storytelling. It sure is. You know, I think it might be time for some ultra shorts. Ultra shorts? Yeah. You know what those are, right? Oh, those are the the short, uh, the stories that people write down on slips of paper. Yes. And then the MCs at the Story Slams read those. And they do. I love those ultra shorts. Yeah. Well, let me give you one. Okay. Ready? Yes. This is from Kelsey. Kelsey said, from ages 5 to 10, I was in gymnastics. The last couple of years required four-hour practices, four days a week. Who knew a second grader could have a part-time job? By the time I reached fifth grade, I had set the pull-up record for fifth and sixth grade boys and girls at 15. It was my proudest moment. Wow. So we have one final story from David Fowler. He shared this one in 2016 at a story slam with the theme, Game Changer. This was at the All-Star Story Slam that season. So instead of five minutes as a limit for the stories, tellers had up to 10 minutes. And here's David. I want to talk about my father a little bit. My father passed away after 96 glorious years on this planet. Um, He was a teacher, a football coach, and did a lot of things. He came from western Nebraska, a single boy during the Depression to a single mom, I'm sorry, single mom with two sons, and uh, ended up being a Navy pilot. I was thinking about the word game changer and all the things that happened to him and how he was a game changer. He was a progressive, joined the NAACP in 1955, moved to Detroit, was in the ACLU, which I didn't even know what it was until kids started making fun of me on the playground about it. Thought I was Jewish because my name's David, and I, it's kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition there, but... Um, so I was trying to think of that game changer. I was trying to think about talking about my father. And then I started realizing all these great things, because when you're going through your dad's stuff and going through it for like the last three months, what a fabulous father I had. So I started thinking about that, and I started you know, talking to my sister, and she was in agreement that I was a real asshole when I was in high school. <laughs> and why were you such a jerk when you had this great dad? And I told her because, you know, my mom and dad were both teachers, and my father was a football coach. And I just thought I wasn't going to be that perfect kid. I was going to be the rebellious one. So all through high school, I was doing all these stupid things. Like I found out that you could take little spit wads, and you could completely cover the clock in the classroom in about 15 minutes before the teacher would look up to see that the class was covered. So I was well on my way. You know, my, my goal in life was to be the class clown when I was a senior, and that was pretty good. But I also loved to play football. So I want to bring this around to my father being the kind of football coach he was, because my dad um, had a master's degree in sociology, master's degree in 
in tech, and it was the GI Bill that got them out of western Nebraska, where there's not much out in western Nebraska. It's the part of the state we keep away from tourists because we keep you guys on I-80. We don't want you guys coming up and seeing the good parts up by the Black Hills. But anyway, so he was this football coach, but the idea when he played football was everybody that came out for the team would play an entire quarter at whatever position they would play at. Of course, as his son, I wanted to play on a team that won all the time. So I didn't, and my sister said I was a real jerk, did not play football for my father. Even though I grew up going to all the practices at Fortson High School, all the time did all this stuff with him. So I went to play at Melvindale High School, which had, I think he was one of the Nazi guards that escaped from Auschwitz. And we used to go there, and one of the things back in the, I graduated in 1972, I'm kind of old, but uh, one of the things that would happen in our practices was that if your hair was below your helmet, he had scissors, and he would just cut the hair. So we used to try to stuff it up into our helmets, but it would always fall down as, as you were playing because you'd get sweaty. The other thing he used to do is if you made a mistake on the field, he would come back, he'd grab you by the face mask and shake you around while he was t- yelling at you, And I found out that the brain doesn't work really well at retaining information when somebody's like shaking your head a lot like that. But he was a winning coach, and we won a lot of games. And my goal was to be the team captain at some point in my life on that team. But he knew my father and just hated the way my father used to coach games. Because my father, of course, his record was rather spotty. And if you've ever seen the movie, how many people have seen the movie Radio? where the coach has to go in and talk to the boosters. I went there a couple of times with my dad to talk to the boosters when he had some of the quality players not playing the entire game. And as you can imagine, the boosters didn't like it so much. So I always kind of reflect on some of those conversations that he had. I was too little to really understand them, but it was tough for him to do this kind of coaching and keep that style. But the kids, the players that played for him, they just loved him to death as opposed to our team, we kind of started to not really like our coach too much. He was a little bit hard to get along with. But like I said, I wanted to be team captain. That was my goal. And I realized how much I didn't like him when we actually played my dad's team in a game. And we killed him because we had a very good football team. And what the thing that was funny was when his team got done, they lifted my dad up and carried him off the field. And they're all cheering and yelling like they just won the game. And I'm like just dumbfounded because, again, I'm a teenager. I'm like, what the hell is this all about? They lost. We killed them. So I'm driving home with my dad trying to ask him, you know, those, what, what was going on? You guys lost the game. He goes, no, we won what we wanted. We did what we wanted to do. All those kids got to play, and that was my goal. And I said, that's the dumbest thing, Dad. That is so stupid. Why don't you win some games, and then, you know, then you might get to keep your job. Because I keep hearing they're going to fire you. And he goes, that's not important. What's important is doing it the way I want to do it. So the season is coming to an end, and the next season starts, and my dad eventually did lose his job. And I thought to myself, what's the best tribute? Because I started to come around to my father's way of thinking started to realize that I was a gung-ho, win-at-all-cost kind of guy when I first started playing. But I started seeing things that were happening on our team. Not many of the other kids were coming out for the team. We started losing members because it was not that much fun to play. But 
we had this session where they would pit a small kid against some big guy. And the big guy would just pound the crap out of him. And the goal that this coach had was to drive those guys off the team, which I thought was just ridiculous. So I started letting up a little bit and trying to be helpful and trying to teach some of these kids some things about football, which did not go over well with the coach. So when I came up and volunteered to be one of the team captains, he said, absolutely not. You are not going to be one of the captains of the team. I said, but I'm a pretty good player, and I think a lot of the guys like me. They go, nope, you're done. So what happened, he's giving the alcohol lecture, and he was an alcoholic, so he's probably well qualified to give the alcohol lecture. (laughs) And he brought out a glass of water and a glass of whiskey. He takes a worm, he drops it in the whiskey, and the worm, of course, shrivels up and dies. Takes another worm and drops it in the water. And the worm stays alive. And he says, now, boys, what does this teach you? And I couldn't help myself. I said, if you got worms, drink whiskey. <laughs> and unfortunately for my coach, the next, that very evening was the election for team captains. And I was unanimously selected <laughs> as the defensive captain for that year. I just don't know how it happened. And I remember going home and talking to my father about it and asking him what he thought about being the team captain. And he said, you know, I'm really proud of you, son, but make sure when you are the team captain, you're the team captain for the right reasons. And it's not always about winning. It's about having fun, but it's about learning. Because one of the things I learned from my father, the best thing I learned from him, was to try to make yourself second in many cases and submerge some of the things that you want to be sure that everybody else that you're working with on your team, where you work, that they are advancing with you and that they're having a good time. And I've carried that over to my work. I just retired from the Milwaukee Sewage District about uh, just five, six days ago, actually. So um, thank you. And I tried to do that at my place of work. And one of the things that I'm proudest of about that was the 28 interns. And even though I swore I would never be a teacher, I ended up having about 28 interns who I all think had a little bit of teaching that came through me from my dad. So thank you very much. You know, David's story reminds us that one of the drawbacks of surviving our adolescence (laughs) is looking back and realizing how goofy we were. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But but we do survive that and we can learn from it. And I think like his father, David ended up himself being a game changer. Yeah, he did. And it's nice that it came full circle, even though his career path was completely different than the story that he told. Yes. He realized that his dad, what his dad was trying to teach him really mattered more than just winning. You yes. Know? And right. Right. That's, that's great. It's a ripple effect. It, that's that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kim, how about some more ultra shorts? I'm always down. Let's okay. go. <laughs> this one is from Mira. In high school, I was a band nerd and a jock. I always had plenty of pictures in the yearbook of me and my instrument, but I always wanted a sports action shot. Finally, my senior year, a picture of me playing soccer with the caption, Mira watches as Pam takes control of the ball. Okay. okay. (laughs) I don't know if that counts. (laughs) Poor Mira. (laughs) Kim, there's no time left on the game clock. That makes me sad. Yeah, that's it for this episode of Real Stories MKE. But don't worry, we've been at this since 2009. 
And there are more audio and video stories available at exfabula.org. That is correct. Our website lists all the upcoming storytelling workshops and story slams. So go ahead and check it out. Perhaps you will join us at an event and maybe even share a story. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to everyone who makes this program possible, including Exfabula staff, the storytellers, of course, audio engineer Sam Woods. We love you, Sam. And our producer, Lauren Instinis. Also, a big cheer for the funders of our Youth Affinity Storytelling work, the MPS Partnership for the Arts and Humanities, Herb Cole Philanthropies, the Greater Milwaukee Foundation, and, of course, ex-fabula members. Yeah, we could not do this without all of you. Mm -hmm. So for Real Stories MKE, I'm Kim Shine. And I'm Joel Dreesang. Remember, everyone has a story. Plan on telling yours. Thanks for listening. 